called Paul and the Three Bears. You know, Paul talks about three bears when he talks about bearing your own burdens, bearing the burdens or the, the brand marks of Christ, and then bearing uh, one another's burdens, which is what we're going to talk about this evening. I'll start with a story. There's a guy by the name of Charles Plum who was a fighter pilot in Vietnam. He was shot down, a surface-to-air missile, hit his plane. He was able to eject before the plane fell to the ground. He landed behind enemy lines and was captured, spent six years in a POW camp. He now tours the country telling his story, telling of the inspirational uh, time uh, and inspiring others about uh, what he went through. He also tells a story about when he was at dinner one night with his wife at a restaurant, and he's sitting there, and a gentleman comes up to him, and he says, hey, you're Charles Plum. He said, you flew in Vietnam. You were on the aircraft carrier, the Kitty Hawk. And Plum looks at him, and he says, that's right, how did you know that? And he says, I packed your parachute. And he says, really? I mean, he was flabbergasted. And he says, yeah, I hope it worked. And he said, well, obviously it did. But then he started thinking after that incident, he started thinking, how many times did I pass this guy on this aircraft carrier and, and I never said good morning, we never carried on a conversation? How many times were we sitting together at a meal, maybe at the same table, and I never even thought to, to say anything to him or I never knew who he was, and yet here he is packing the parachute for a stranger, never knowing what happened to that stranger. And so he always ends his inspirational talk with a question to his audience. Who's packing your parachute? Because we all need someone in our lives that helps us. Maybe more than once in our lives. But we've all experienced, I'm sure, someone who was there for us just when we needed them, who maybe, quote-unquote, saved our lives. Maybe it wasn't that dramatic, but someone who was there when we needed them the most. Turn with me to Galatians 6, 1 and 2. You know, I find it interesting how we always talk about direct commands from God and how we are to obey those without apology. That it is our absolute must that we, that we follow these direct commands. We have no other choice. But yet we, we kind of seem to pick and choose which ones we emphasize more than others, right? It seems like the, the direct commands having to do with worship and the assembly and some things related to our Christian lives are things we emphasize the most. And yet here we have a direct command. The Holy Spirit, speaking through Paul, as he writes these words, this is a direct command. It says, Brethren, if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself, so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. Maybe you've never thought of it, but it is actually the law to bear one another's burdens. What does that mean? Well, the word law here comes from the Greek word nomos. And it became the established name for law as decreed by state and set up as the standard for the administration of justice. That being said, the law of Christ is the standard or the measure of conduct by which Christians will be judged. Now, some contend that the, the law of Christ that's being talked about here is referring to Jesus' example that you are to just follow in his footsteps, that you are to follow his example and be what he was, and therefore you're fulfilling the law of Christ. 
while I think it's always the best idea to follow in Jesus' footsteps and to learn from his example, to try to apply those attributes to your life, I don't think that's what Paul is talking about here. When Paul is talking about the law of Christ, I think he's going back to something that John mentioned in his gospel. John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. It reads, And a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. The law that Christ established, or that was established by Christ, is the love that we have for others, that we have for Him as well. And He expects His followers to reciprocate that love back to God, back to others. This is a direct command. And what are we supposed to do with direct commands? We're supposed to obey them, right? We have an obligation to obey them. You'd better obey or else. Why not this one? You see, before Christ, no one had ever lived on this earth that expressed the kind of love to mankind that He had shown. His eternal love, of course, was ultimately displayed as he opened his arms on the cross to mankind. And of course, that love is something that we as Christians experience not just one time, but continually as we faithfully follow him. And it's the thrust behind our actions, or at least it should be. It is the impetus behind what we do, that we follow faithfully we do the things that we should do because we love God so much. We talked about that in Clay's class this morning. And I thought about, you know, when I was growing up, I grew up thinking that God was some ruthless tyrant or dictator. And that he was always looking out for me to make sure that I followed the, the way that he had for me to, to follow, that I walked in a straight line. And if I ever messed up, he was there to strike me down or to take record of it so that he could punish me in hell. That's the way I thought of God. But as I became a Christian, as I learned, and as I was transformed, as I looked at God's Word, as I studied, I realized this is a personal relationship. That God is not some ruthless dictator or tyrant that's full of thou shalt nots and just waiting for me to disobey one of them so he could send me to hell. But rather, God is a father, and I am his child. And we see that illustration presented over and over again in the New Testament, don't we? That we are children of His, that He is the Father, and therefore we do what we do, we obey out of love. Because we love Him so much, we want to do His will because we want to please Him. And we don't want to let Him down, we don't want to disappoint Him. Yes, the fires of hell are back there in the background reminding us, but I don't think that's the motivation, or at least I don't think it should be. The motivation is because we are children wanting to please our Father. And as children, we ought to live consistent with our spiritual ancestry. We ought to love one another as, as Christ has loved us, which is sacrificially, undeservingly, unconditionally, right? We should love others the same way, which gets very difficult, I know. I mean, we're commanded to treat people the same way that, that, he, has treated, that he has treated us and the same way that we want to be treated. Though these are commands and not suggestions, we've also got to be careful not to turn them into something that is mere duty or obligation. We mustn't make the mistake of the Pharisees where we follow the letter of the law, but we miss the spirit of it. We do this because we love God, because we want to please our Heavenly Father. And if there is one statement, one declaration, one rule so universal, so comprehensive, that it would serve as a concise standard by which all conduct could be measured, it would be this. 
Love others like Christ loves you. This is the law of Christ by which all Christian relationships are governed. You see, I believe that if I err on the side of love in a situation that maybe I'm unclear about, maybe there's a situation that I'm not real sure how to handle with another individual, I believe if I err on the side of love, that's the best. I know that if I slam a door on somebody, I have no hope probably of ever reaching them. But if I can leave it cracked just a little bit, if I can show them love in a situation that perhaps other people would show them hatred, then I'm winning. I'm doing what Christ would have me to do. And there are situations like that where we don't always know how to respond. They're difficult because, you know, in one sense we want to retaliate, we want to respond with, uh, with getting back at them or, or maybe showing them how they're supposed to treat us. And so we take on the matter of vengeance or revenge when I'm going to err on the side of love. Because I think if I do that, I'm trying to fulfill the law of Christ, and hopefully that's enough. But you know as well as I do, love is one thing. It's one thing to tell somebody you love them. It's one thing to say, I love my brethren, but it's a whole other thing to show it. You know, somebody can say, hey, can I borrow a dollar? And I'll be willing to give them a dollar. If they say, hey, can I borrow a kidney? That takes things to about nine levels past what I was willing to to ever go. And so there's, a, there's a, a fine line there between saying, you know, I'm willing to help you. I'm willing to show love to you. Well, then how far? How far are you willing to go? I think it's safe to say that we're not real clear on what it means to bear another's burden. Because we talk about burdens in a very superficial way and in a way that's very elementary and really doesn't present burden as the way it should be presented. We, we kind of apply that label to things that are not really what Paul is speaking about. For instance, you know, we have a hangnail. Well, it's just a burden I have to bear. We have astigmatism. You know, it's just the burden I have to, the cross I have to bear, right? I have to bear a couple of crosses every day in dealing with Blake and Jake. It's just a cross that I have to bear, right? That's not what Paul is referring to. Burden bearing is about going the extra mile. It's about putting yourself in their position. It's about being able to see things through their eyes, to think things with their mind, and to feel things with their feelings. That's really what Paul is speaking about here. Are you willing to go to the nth degree to help if necessary? In 1993, there was a 31-year-old woman by the name of Sophia that walked into a Los Angeles hospital waving around a 38 caliber handgun. She was looking for a woman by the name of Elizabeth Statton, who she said stole her husband. And she found her, and she fired six shots at her, hitting her twice, once in the stomach, once in the wrist. Elizabeth Statton ran, and Sophia chased after her, waving the handgun. They end up in the emergency room, and Sophia White had her gun pointed directly at Elizabeth Statton, ready to finish the job when a lady by the name of Joan Black stepped in front of Elizabeth and protected her and then did the unthinkable. She walked over to Sophia White and gave her a hug. Sophia still had her finger on the trigger and raised it up as if she was going to put it to her head and kill herself. And Joan Black pulled it down and said, you're hurt, I understand. 
but this isn't the way to deal with it. We'll get you help. Just please stop. And she dropped the gun, and she was able to bring peace to that situation as well as, as save the life of Elizabeth Statton. Now, realize that's, that's an extreme situation, right? But I think it kind of puts into a clear picture what it means to bear another's burden. Are we willing as a spiritual family to go the extra mile if need be to make certain that our brothers or sisters in Christ are being taken care of, that they're not bearing the weight of the world? Remember that illustration, maybe you've seen it, of the boy who's got his brother on his back and he's bowed over, you know, and he's, he's smiling all the way, but you can tell he's hunched over and, and his brother is very heavy. And he says, he's not heavy, he's my brother. And you're sitting there going, yeah, but he is heavy, right? I mean, you wouldn't be bowed over like that if he wasn't. He is a burden. He just doesn't see him as a burden. Why? Because he loves him so much. It's not a burden when you love them so much. And I'm not sure we understand burden bearing because we don't always understand burdens, but we also don't always see people the way we should. We are mostly a self-absorbed people, and I don't mean that despairingly. I mean, I, I, I know that sounds bad, but I mean, I mean we are self-absorbed people in that we are just so busy. We have so many things going on in our lives. We don't mean to. We're just racing from one activity to another, so much so that we hardly ever see people who are in need. And if we do see them in need, we're thinking to ourselves, well, I ain't got time for that. I got my own problems, right? I've got my own situations that I've got to work out. Do we see people as a bother or as a brother? Because when you're so busy and you're so self-absorbed, you tend to see people as a hindrance more than reaching out to help them. I think we see a beautiful picture of burden-bearing in Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Turn there with me if you would. Mark chapter 2, verses 1 and following, it reads, When he had come back to Capernaum several days afterward, it was heard that he was home, and many were gathered together so that there was no longer room, not even near the door. And he was speaking the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. Being unable to get to him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had dug an opening, they let down the pallet on which the paralytic was lying. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. But some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why does this man speak that way? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus, aware in his spirit that they were reasoning that way within themselves, said to them, Why are you reasoning about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or say, Get up and pick up your ballot and walk. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, Get up, pick up your pallet, and go home. And he got up and immediately picked up the pallet and went out into the sight of everyone so that they were all amazed and were glorifying God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. I want you to imagine that your life is lived on a mat that's about three feet by six feet. You are a paralytic, meaning that you have to rely on everyone else to do anything. You have to rely on other people for food, for clothing, for a handout, to go to the bathroom, whatever it is, you have to rely on someone else because you are completely helpless. 
There is no surgery that can be performed. There is no rehab. There are no clinics that you can go to. This is your life, if you want to call it a life. You are confined to this mat every day begging for a handout, and many people are not willing to help you because you're also considered an outcast. You are unclean and unfit to be in the presence of normal people. Imagine that is your life. But this man had something that would prove to be invaluable. He had four friends that were willing to go the extra mile. Four friends who pick him up, they take him to where Jesus is at, and in our culture we might understand if they arrive and they see how packed it is to say, well, I'm sorry, we did our best, we'll take you back now. They didn't do that. They take him up on the roof, they, they dig a hole in the roof, and they drop him down so that Jesus can see him, and he gets healed. These, these friends brought this man to Jesus physically, and spiritually, right? Because they saw someone that was not a bother, but who was a brother. They saw someone who, who no one else took an interest in. They didn't stop by on the side of the road and say, there, there, we'll pray for you. They didn't just come by and visit with him a couple of times and, and say, man, I hate that for you. I hope it gets better. They picked him up, they carried him, whatever the distance was, to where Jesus was. They went the extra mile by dropping him through the roof so that he could get healing. Because they cared that much for him. They loved him that much. A beautiful illustration of what it means to bear one another's burdens. Why don't we do this? Because like I said, we're so self-absorbed. We have so many things going on, we can't see past our own noses. And like I said, that's not to make you feel guilty. It's just the way that it is. We... We have a hard time seeing the needs of others because we're so busy, wrapped up in our own little world. And if we do see someone with a need, we tend to maybe look at them condescendingly or arrogantly, unfortunately. Maybe not, maybe not us, but, but some folks. And we say, well, you know, if they, were just, if they weren't so lazy, if they'd just get up and do something with their life, they wouldn't be in this predicament if they had gone to school and we look at their situation and we find every reason not to help when we should be reaching out, especially when it's people that we are related to spiritually, people in which we share the same spiritual DNA. James said this, if a brother or sister is without clothing and need of daily food and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. There is a time when you need to stop praying. You believe that? I think the Bible gives us a few examples. There are times when you need to stop praying. You need to get up and do something. James is saying, hey, you're not helping this guy if you just say, hey, I'll pray for you. You need to be doing something. If you have the means, you need to be helping them in some way, shape, or form, as long as it's within your ability. Because love does that. Love acts. It shows itself by the things that you do. It's not just empty words or an empty phrase, I love you. It's about showing it through action. It's about carrying their mats. It's about going the extra mile. When we compare ourselves with other people, we're always going to fall short and we're always going to be better than some. You know, Paul warns about showing arrogance over 
those who are in need. He says, for if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But each one must examine his own work, and then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone and not in regard to another. We've got to be careful here. We tend to judge other people more harshly than we do ourselves. Of course, the context of what Paul is mentioning here is the burden of sin. But we know there's a lot of other burdens that people deal with as well. But in that context, you know, we tend to judge the sins of others more harshly than we do our own. And Paul is saying, don't do that. Stop comparing yourself to other people and just remember that you're a sinner as well. You've been washed in the blood of Christ. Remember that God loved you so much that he sent his only begotten son. Show that love back to God as you show it to others. As you, as you present yourself to others as one who is basking in the love of Christ. You know, it should be noted that the word Paul uses for sin here is a Greek word that means a false step or a blunder. Paul's not talking about someone who is so lost in sin and so stubborn and so disobedient that they refuse to turn around. He's talking about a lapse of judgment, so to speak. This is someone who has slipped up, who has blundered. They need help. It's like when I was living in Charlotte, Arkansas, and we had a student in the school there that we knew was, was not in a pure relationship with her boyfriend. And this was a small church. I mean, this is like 60 people. And what, our superintendent at the school was an elder, so, I mean, you didn't get by with much. And some of us were concerned. I taught at the school, and we went, we went to, you know, to the father, and we told him, this is, this is the suspicion, you know, you might just ask. He got very upset, very upset. We did it very lovingly. We weren't trying to be accusatory. He just said, you know, here are some things that we have noticed, and here are some evidence that we have. Not long after that, the little young lady comes forward. She was about 16, and she confesses to the congregation that she was indeed pregnant. And it was a devastating time for her, for the family. Afterwards, you know, she asked for repent. You know, she repents. She asked for forgiveness from the church family, and she's crying. And afterwards, everyone is gathered around, consoling her. I mean, this is a situation. This is this is Galatians six, right? I mean, this is a lapse in judgment. This is this is where. You know, she blundered, and she's bearing the burden of it. And it's time for us to rally around her since she sought forgiveness and tried to help her to come to grips with this, to help restore her. And one little lady comes to one of the elders and says, I can't believe that y'all are treating her this way. And he said, what do you mean? Well, she's a sinner. I mean, you tried to warn her father. She comes forward. She has sinned. I can't believe that you're treating her this way. She should not be allowed back here. And Mr. Lillard, my superintendent, looked at her and he said, well, then maybe we shouldn't allow you here either. We're all sinners. We've all benefited from the grace of God. And we all have to understand that there are burdens that that we bear. That, you know, we can be judgmental, we can be condescending, we can be arrogant, or we can dig in and we can help. That's what a spiritual family should do right? Who's packing your parachute? Who's there to make sure that when you fall, it's a soft landing? Who is there to make certain that if you're wounded, if 
you're a victim, if you're hurt, if this life has knocked you down, if, if sin has gotten the best of you, who's there to make sure that you're restored? I want you to do something as we close. I want you to do something this week. First of all, I want you to think about all the things your parents did for you. For some of you, that won't be very hard. Think about all the things your parents did for you from the time that you were born, the late nights, getting up several times a night to take care of you, to feed you when you were sick, changing your diaper. Think about all the times that they, they shuffled you around from one activity to another, whether it's sports or band or, or you know, uh, a play, whatever it was. They were your chauffeur. They were your taxi. Think about all the events that they came to and supported you. Think about all the money they dished out so that you could participate and so you could do certain things. They were a chauffeur. They were a bank. They were a caretaker. All the things that they did. And go to them this week. Go to your parents and say, I'm sorry for being a burden. And what do you think they'd say? They'd probably look at you like you had a third ear, right? What do you mean? I'm a burden? You weren't a burden. Why do you say that? And you know as well as I do, you were. You were a burden. I mean, that's what a burden is. I mean, in the real sense of the definition, you were a burden, but they would never see you as that. Why? Because they loved you so much. And when you love someone so much, they're never a burden. If you have a need tonight that we can help you with, Caleb's going to lead a song here in just a few moments. Let us help you. Don't forget about small groups tonight. Stick around. It's a great way to get to know one another. As we get bigger, we need to get smaller. And so invest in a small group. But use this time tonight. If you, if you need the prayers of this church family, if you're ready to put on Christ in baptism, if you're ready to study the Bible with someone, we want you as a part of this family, and we want you to be better because you're a part of this family. If we can help you in some way, come now as we stand, as we sing.